This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 301, recorded Thursday, December 22nd, 2016. Feels like a whole new beginning today, Jason, 301. A whole new beginning right after our whole new ending last time. All new ending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, it's, it's 301, so we're starting the uh, third set. Well, the third, one, two, three, the fourth set of hundred of 100. How's that work? One, two, yeah, the fourth, we're the fourth 100 grouping. There you go. That we've just started. That's amazing. That is truly amazing. So uh, thanks to everyone who's tuned in for 300 episodes, and we've got uh, 301 coming up. I think it's a pretty good episode. We are going to read some listener feedback, although it may be somewhat depressing because a lot of it is a little bit negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> but what can you do? And then in what has become, as of right now anyways, an annual tradition on The Talking Dead we're going to review a Star Wars movie. Yay! <laughs> Which, of course, has nothing to do with The Walking Dead, but there are Star Wars movies coming out every December for the foreseeable future, I think. Um, Forever! So, uh, so, and we're going to talk about them because we like to talk about Star Wars, but we'll get to that in the back half of the show. A couple of things off the top here. I just want to remind everyone that the first thing we're going to do in the new year, 2017, is record a podcast on Saturday, January the 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the reason that time and date is important is because we are going to be live broadca broadcasting it with a chat room going, and we're hoping that all of you will join us in the chat room and ask some questions. That would be I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. It is. We did a live show years ago, number 100, actually, of the podcast. And then we did another one at some point, sometime in there between 100 and 300. Yep. I don't remember what number that was. It wasn't 200, though. Um, and and now we're going to do it again, albeit a little bit differently this time. Instead of taking actual calls from listeners, we are just going to have a chat room where everyone can hang out and chat and ask us questions. And uh, we'll just talk about whatever we feel like at the time. It'll be a... And, and that's going to happen every year in January, too. So the first one is Saturday, January the 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure you look up what time that is in your local time zone, and then I hope you can join us. Yep. It's going to be a free-for-all. A total free-for-all. Talking Dead free-for-all. We'll post uh, more information exactly about exactly how to tune in um, as we get closer to the day. Uh, I would do it now, but I must admit, I just haven't figured it all out yet. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, we're going to use technology, right? Technology will be involved somehow. Yeah. yeah. And and I think it'll be uh, a fun time. So keep an eye open for that on TalkingDeadPodcast.com, as well as, you know, our Facebook and Twitter and so on. And if we can, maybe we'll record a real short reminder sometime between now and then to throw up on the feed so that if you really just listen to us, you won't be uh, left out as well. Okay, the other thing we're doing during Season 7 of The Walking Dead is our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. And I've got another entry here that I want to play right now. Dum, 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 dum. Little pig, little pig, let me in. Well... 
Uh, who are you? Oh, you better be joking. Negan, Lucille, I know I had to make a pretty strong first impression. Thank you so much to Steve in Upminster, Essex, United Kingdom for that Negan impression. Oh, Steve, that was awesome. It was it was spot on. Like, it was very good. That was, like, that sounded like Jeffrey Dean Morgan doing Negan. It did. I was really... You could, you could get a job doing that. I think you should hire your voice out for some voice acting doing uh, Negan stuff. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that's true. TV show Negan. I mean, you need a guy who sounds like Negan? Hire Steve in Upminster, Essex, United Kingdom. Yep. That's great stuff. Thank you, Steve, for sending that in. The idea here, folks, is to pick your favorite scene from any episode of The Walking Dead, record it into your phone or your computer, and then send us the audio file. And at the end of Season 7, we're going to choose our favorite, uh, and uh, that person will win a big, impressive box of prizes. Or box it's not a bag? Box, it's a, it's, it, it'll be a box. It's not a prize bag, it's a prize box? Yeah, prize O. Uh, sorry, box O prizes. Right. O apostrophe. Uh, so, uh, keep those coming in. You have, you know, half the season left to do it and it can be from any season of the walking dead, not just seven. Um, so choose whatever you like. You can do a, a, you know, a Herschel scene from season two or a Shane from season one or something like that. So yeah, you're not limited to the past either. I mean, if you know what's going to happen in future seasons, you know, record something. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, send it in, and we'd like to. We will be a little confused because, uh, you know, Chris and I are not time travelers, nor can we see into the uh, the future. But uh, yeah, send it in. We'll play it, and uh, uh, maybe it'll it, you know it'll come true. Says only, he- only real ones don't 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 fake it. You know, if you actually know what's going to happen, then send one in. If you if you have a good idea of what might happen, don't don't do it. Don't do that. No, that's not going to work out. Uh, but how do you know I'm not a time traveler or can see into the future? Oh, because, you know, your life wouldn't be the way it is right now if you could do that. <laughs> Sorry. That seems, seems like a sort of... It's a little, a, little harsh, but, you know, it's not untrue. <laughs> kind of a burn there, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, your life is pretty good, but I think it'd be a whole lot better if you could see into the future. Uh, maybe, that may be generally true for most people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, listener feedback, should we? Sure, sure. Listener feedback. All right, so what we are going to do in this installment of listener feedback is a little bit different uh, because a few episodes ago on the podcast, we started talking about people who don't necessarily watch the show anymore, but who maybe listen to us um, or, or who are thinking of stopping watching the show because that came up a lot during the first half of season seven. And I thought it was kind of an interesting phenomenon um, because I guess it's always been the case. This, uh, viewers come and go. But when we were, you know, slogging through the first, I don't know, six episodes of season seven, and especially after that first one that was in a way pretty divisive for different people, um, we started to hear from people who were like, I can't take this anymore. And so we put the call out for some more information and a lot of people came through. Awesome. And so what we're going to do here is play and read a lot of that feedback just as a bit of a different take on The Walking Dead and get some insight into why some people were feeling uh, the way they were about it. Now, I say all that because, you know, the next collection of phone calls and emails we have are, you know, pretty down on the show and understandably so because that's what we asked for. But if you're not into that sort of 
negative negativity or, or don't want to be a part of that, then this section of feedback may not be for you. But if you're okay with it, or you just want to hear what other people are thinking, then uh, stick around and, and I think you're in for a treat. <laughs> um, but either way, at the end of the listener feedback, we have a few general thoughts, a few more general thoughts on specific episodes or the first half of season seven so far. And then after that, we're going to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which isn't Walking Dead related at all, of course. However, um, we got to do it. So skip ahead right. to that if you really want to. All right, we are going to start our feedback here with a call from Michael in Massachusetts. Now, it's a long call. There's a lot in here, so uh, strap in and uh, get ready, because here it comes. Hi, Chris and Jason. I uh, tried to record this already once, and three minutes is the limit, and uh, I have trouble with brevity, so I'm going to try harder. Why I stopped watching The Walking Dead. I stopped at the end of the last season, and the main reasons were um, the zombies are no longer a threat, the defeat of the Horde at Alexandria perfect example the dilution of the story too many communities too many characters awesome characters don't even get a fair shake like jesus awesome where is he ezekiel huge character seemingly appearing once um unbelievable plot developments um glenn uh escaping the trash can uh glenn escaping the horde of zombies they're tearing all over him pinned against the wall in the alexandria horde attack abraham and sasha show up on a roof and they snipe every single zombie around him rapid fire they were i think they almost were like on full auto and glenn doesn't get winged he doesn't get bit it just i was like what and the contortion to get every character in front of Negan was so many stretches of the plot. And they left Father Gabriel in charge of Alexandria. I, I actually, I did shout out in the room, Father Gabriel, like seriously. Um, and Oceanside, uh, the saviors killed every male child under 10. Were there any males left? I, I haven't watched the episode to be fair. And there may have been, but you haven't mentioned them. Uh, and that seemed odd to me. And then this was one where I really started shouting at the screen at the end of last season finale glenn and somebody else are in the woods skulking around and the saviors a uh, couple guys show up behind the trees first of all they're not taking shelter uh, cover from the trees they actually stand right out in the open pointing guns at glenn and instead of glenn yelling gun and diving to warn his partner right gun everybody down and then maybe even assessing whether they need to return fire glenn just shrugs mm, and drops his gun mm. Well, I guess you guys got me. And I was like, what? What? These all th things take me out of the episode. And as for um, apocalypse saturation or zombie saturation, that's not true, I don't think. It's that they're not experiencing an apocalyptic scene. How about a struggle for food and scavenging? How about using horses for transport? How about gasoline being gold in the apocalypse instead of every car they find that's two years old being able to start it up? gasoline gels and i let it go for like three seasons and after a while i was like come on you can't just start a car up even if you jump start it and too many characters are plot proof so these are the reasons why i stopped watching however i will never stop listening to your show your show is awesome and if you ever stop doing a walking dead or a talking dead podcast please pick up westworld for your next show because westworld is amazing i'll talk to you guys later thanks for the show Fantastic. Thank you, Michael. So it comes down to, for him, all kinds of just ridiculousness and unbelievable things that he, he cannot buy into in the show. And 
what I wanted to ask you, Jason, is if you think there has been an uptick in that sort of thing on the show, if it has changed at all since the beginning, like the early seasons, um, or if, if that sort of thing has gotten better as the show has gone on. Well, I think it has changed since the first uh, season, but I don't think that you can keep going over the same stuff over and over again and have the show remain interesting. Like if everything was always about gas and about uh, finding ammunition uh, and finding food, it's going to get boring after six or seven seasons. <laughs> yeah. You have to have something interesting. So they've, you know, they've solved the gas problem. Uh, all cars, you know, this, this particular zombie universe, uh, has some differences with, from the real world, you know, the softness of people's heads is one thing. Uh, the, uh, prevalence of headshots when, uh, people are shooting at zombies is another thing that was really bad in the first season, but now it's not so, uh, not as bad, but, uh, and gasoline does not gel when it gets, uh, when it gets old. It is a perfectly stable, uh, substance that will always be available and nice and fresh inside, uh, any vehicle and never, ever, ever, ever leak out of a gasoline tank or, <laughs> no, that's... or a gas tank as it's usually known. <laughs> yeah, a gasoline tank. That's fine. <laughs> that works. Well, the thing about the headshots to the zombies, I feel like they don't shoot zombies as much as they used to on the show. I feel like... Um, well, that just comes back to, uh, you know, Michael's original point that the zombies just aren't that much of a threat anymore. And I know that does bother a lot of people, um, but it it's clear on the show that they're not really as concerned with that anymore. The zombies are always there. They are around. You have to be careful of them. But the characters are pretty adept at just not worrying about it. Right. And, and doing their thing. Um, but But other than that... You're right. I mean, having gas be a problem, having food be a problem, or ammunition being scarce. If that was in real life, you know, if, if I can use, if I can say in real life, if this was happening, those would be the primary problems, right? Those would be yeah. the things you have to overcome. Shelter, food, all the basic necessities. Um, and, I, and I think most people would, a lot of people would die off because of things like running out of food. But on a TV show, that would be really difficult and boring to portray. And so I think in a way, you just have to accept the fact that, well, they're going to have food and they're going to have gas that works. And that's because they're trying to tell a more interesting story that doesn't involve the sort of day-to-day -day basics of just surviving. Right. Well, I, I read the uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, the in the twentieth century, it's the first time in all of human history that more uh, soldiers die in battle than of dysentery and starvation. Right. So they all like <laughs> <laughs> until now they'd all go to war and die from diseases and not enough food. They've yeah. sorted that out now, so they're actually yes. being killed in wars. That's right. So, yeah, this is the first time that uh, more soldiers die in battle than from logistical issues. So <laughs> logistical issues are a big, big deal. And, you know, in the real zombie apocalypse, they would be everything. Like this infighting between groups of people would be like, uh, you know, you go stuff your petty arguments in a sack. I need to go find a, a can of zoodles someplace or I'm going to starve to death. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not even sure that the sort of infighting that we get or the fighting we get between these communities would ever even come up because I'm not sure communities 
would ever actually form because people would be far too busy trying to find food. Yeah. I mean, the feudal system has been around for a long time back when, you know, primarily what human beings wanted to do was to find food and not, you know, freeze to death. Sure. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, I, I think communities would come up. I just don't think that they would get into these kind of fights. Well, you may underestimate hum- humans' ability to uh, hate each other <laughs> or, right. or something like that. But I, I just think, I, I don't, I, I feel like bigger communities like this wouldn't come together. You might get little small groups of five or six people here or there that manage to, you know, live and work together and so on. But even them, I mean, it doesn't take very long to starve to death when you run out of food. No. And starving to death is one good way to have somebody do something stupid and screw it up for everybody. And by stupid, I mean, you know, kill someone and try to eat them because that's what you're trying to avoid in the zombie apocalypse, being eaten. It's true. It's one of the things you're trying to avoid. (laughs) Maybe not even in the zombie apocalypse, just all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I try to avoid it. Yeah. Generally. Generally. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Next, we have an email from Tracy in Ohio. I was just listening to episode 296 when you guys asked to hear from people who listen to your podcast, but don't watch the show. That's me. I didn't watch the season premiere because I don't like the Negan storyline, the breaking down of people's spirits, etc. But I stopped watching the rest of the season because what I like about the show is character interactions and the group surviving as a whole. I don't like Rick's emasculation and I don't like the character storylines delivered piecemeal. However, I listen to the podcast as a way to keep up with the show because of the story. Uh, because if the storylines mesh back up and Rick gets his spirit back, I will return to watching the show. Meanwhile, I continue to enjoy hearing about hearing about it through your voice. Thanks so much. Well, you're welcome, Tracy. And I think if you've listened to our recap of episode seven, I mean eight, you might be ready to jump back on board because that ending was pretty uplifting. I thought, and uh, had a lot uh, lot going for it for the future. So maybe it's time Tracy comes back on. Now, having said that, I don't understand Tracy's ability to jump on and off a show like that. It's, it's just not something I can do. I can understand stopping watching a show because occasionally I have, you know, abandoned shows and not finished watching them. I could name a few, but if I ever decided to go back to the show for some reason... I would start where I left off. I wouldn't skip anything because I just don't feel right about that. Yeah. I'm 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 with you, Chris. I can't I can't do that. The reason I haven't watched the most recent season of the X-Files is because I stopped watching the X-Files uh like four seasons before the end. Right. Right after the first movie, I think I stopped watching it. Uh and so I feel like in order to watch the most recent season, I have to start over. And there's a lot of X-Files and there's a lot of, I'm gonna, this is going to be controversial, a lot of crappy X-Files episodes, Monster of the Week type stuff that I just don't need to sit through. Well, for every bad Monster of the Week episode, there's plenty of good Monster of the Week episodes. Like that show was up and down a lot. And I didn't really realize that when I watched it, you know, when it was new, but you're right. It's, it, it's not as amazing as we thought, except when it was, because there was well, stuff in there that was fantastic. Well, I I know, I think I've spoken about X-Files in the past, but, you know, such of pop culture, uh, a lot of television and pop culture has built on top of what uh, Chris Carter and the X-Files have uh, pioneered Mm -hmm. in the early 90s, 
right? So we've come so far from them, from that show that we've we've built on and we've, uh, you know, uh, and things have become more sophisticated since then. So going back and watching it, at the time, it was groundbreaking. It was great. It was good television. Now going back, it's like, yeah, I've seen this a million times, this kind of thing. It's because they pioneered it. Yeah, they invented it. They they wrote the book, and and you have to credit them for that. I mean, it's it's yeah. certainly important. Lost is is similar in that way, you know. It uh, it's it was it started this you know renaissance of of TV, quality TV we're in right now, in a way. Well, I don't know what started it, but it definitely uh, contributed to it. Well, it was one of the first. It was one of the first shows that just caught on in pop culture like wildfire, and and I think anyways. And, and I think you can credit it with being one of the first shows to lead to where we are now. Yeah. One of the first. Absolutely. All right. Fine. And you, get, you have to credit 24 as well. I know you didn't watch 24, but it was also a groundbreaking television show. Well, which show started first, Lost or 24? It was 24. Really? Yeah. Well, while I'm reading this next email, you look up the premiere dates of both those shows. I don't have to look it up. I know it. I watched 24 when I was living in the apartment, uh, an apartment on, uh, I forget the name of the street, but then I moved in with Dave and that's when Lost started because I was living with Dave when I first watched Lost. Okay. So I can picture all that stuff in my head. So uh, yeah, 24 has definitely had like three seasons out before Lost started. All right, fine. One of the shows, 24 is another one. Yeah, I guess. This email comes from Diego in sunny Mexico City. Diego writes, personally, I no longer watch the show, but I listen to the podcast. I actually prefer to listen to you guys break down the episode with a little commentary on the side. I grew angry and frustrated at the show for seemingly going around in circles with their storylines and ending up following the same structured formula every season. There are a lot of things to do on a Sunday night. Sometimes I canceled plans to watch the show, only to find the characters in the same place at the end of the episode, making me feel dumb for skipping quality time with friends or family. I found myself enjoying the podcast more than the actual show, and that's why I keep listening, but don't actually actually plan to return to the TV show anytime soon. And, uh, well, I mean, Diego, we're, we're great and happy to have you on board. And uh, if you don't watch the show, I guess that's okay. But uh, especially not at the expense of spending time with your family or friends, because that's important. Well, yeah, but I've never regretted canceling plans to watch TV or play video games. Like, no, but that's me, right? Sure. Not everyone feels <laughs> that way. Not everyone feels that way. But uh, yeah, I've I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever made plans to do anything in my whole life that at some point I didn't wish was canceled. <laughs> like absolutely everything. Even, you know, Christmas with the family is just like, yes, I love my family and I like to spend time with them. But, uh, you know, some part of me always thinks, uh, I hope a kid's canceled and I don't have to go. <laughs> I hope I just don't have to do that anymore this time. Yeah. I, but that's everything. Like they're even stuff I enjoy. Like right. they're like doing this podcast. Every once in a while I think, I wonder if it'll get canceled for some reason or Chris will have to push it a day. That wouldn't be such a bad thing. But I love doing it. So it, that's just me, right? No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I rarely want to leave the house. If I, if I didn't have to go to work every day, I'd probably stay here almost all the time. It's three days before Christmas. I'm not leaving the house until after Christmas. Like, I'm done. I might have to go out and buy some driveway salt because it's starting to ice over and I'm worried about people suing me. But that's the only thing I'm leaving the house for in the next three days. You got all your Christmas shopping done? All the Christmas shopping's done. Almost zero, which is great. 
That's good. That's good. I, well, I, 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 I have all mine done too, really. But I, I think I have to go to the office tomorrow for a few minutes, which sucks. But I don't have to get up first thing in the morning and do it. I'll just, you know, roll out of bed, get the kids out the door, have <laughs> yeah. a nice quiet breakfast, and then uh, maybe drive down casually, stop for a coffee on the way. Yeah, just roll in with your sweatpants and some kind of hoodie. Nah, I wear hoodies, but I don't wear sweatpants out of the house. I'm not that kind no. of guy. I don't even own sweatpants. I'd wear shorts. But it's cold out. It's People a, could look at me weird. It's a little cold. Yeah. It's a little cold for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's going on here? Okay. So uh, Jose in Glendale, California. Uh, listen, <laughs> this is in response to, that always makes me smile when people start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, listen. Listen. <laughs> this is in response to the topic you guys were asking about uh, people leaving The Walking Dead. Personally, I've been on the fence since after the first episode of season seven. I feel that the writing and events of the show have become extremely weak. I also talked to my mom and my aunt, who were big fans of the show. From them, they felt that the opening episode for the season was too over-the-top violent. Uh, They said that Glenn felt like family, and that was just too brutal the way he went out. So it is a thing. I mean, people did watch that and think, uh, this is it. show's gone too far. I can't take it anymore, and and they jumped ship. So, yep. and, and hopefully they can come back. And I don't blame people for feeling that way. You gotta, you know, you gotta do what your, what your instinct, what your gut tells you to do. And if, if you don't want to see people get bashed in the head like that and just brutally murdered, then so be it. And that's fair. That was really brutal. It was, it was brutal, wasn't it? Are you ever going to watch that again? Well, I haven't really gone back to watch any episode of the show ever. Oh, really? Yeah, other than the two times that I watch it for doing the uh, the review episode, uh, no, I I have never gone back and watched a single thing. You might someday. I'm saving it. No, oh. I haven't. I'm doing it. On, it's on purpose. I'm not going back. I'm not going to rewatch everything. I've gone back for other shows. Like I've watched all of Lost like three times. Sure. Right. And I'll and I'm sure I'll go back to watch this. But I know that someday this show is going to end, and I don't want the podcast to end. So most likely we'll go back and rewatch a season or a half a season at a time, right? We've talked about that, uh, you know, when the, sh- when the show is over, we'll go back and watch it in blocks and I want to stay as fresh on that as I can. Yeah, well, we, so I'm not going back to watch anything. We've got to do something when the show ends. So it's not like we can right. just stop. That, that'd be crazy. So yeah. you're right. That's, that's a good idea. I mean, we can, uh, uh, I, I occasionally go back and watch something, although I rarely watch a full episode again. I sometimes put it on if I'm doing something else, or even if I'm preparing for the podcast, right? Or preparing for a feedback show, occasionally I'll put it on just in the background almost. So I can't say I really go back and watch it after we've covered the episode either, but um, sounds like I do a little bit more than you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'd rather go back and watch all of House again. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I wouldn't do that. House has an appeal to me. It's It's shows that are all just all talking. Like, it's just talking, no car chases, no action scenes, no fights, no nothing. The house is just people sitting in a room talking for 45 minutes. And I, that kind of appeals to me as a background, kind of uh, a relaxing thing to watch. That can be good. I don't mind. Like, a good conversation is fascinating yeah. stuff. I can't I can't watch 24 because it's just all action, right? It's, so it's, it's distracting and I find it frustrating. Or, uh, yeah, I just, I, I put on the West Wing or House or... Uh, there was a show called Numbers. There was uh, a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, the Closer. All shows is just people talking. Love it. I should watch The West Wing someday. You should. And The Closer. 
All right. Well, I'll get right on that. Next, we have, though, first, before I start watching The West Wing, uh, we got a call from Herbcat in Guatemala City. Hey, guys. This is listener Herbcat from Guatemala City. I think I'm your only Central American fan. I hope not, but I think I'm one of the few that's down here. I wanted to talk to you guys about something that you talked about on the episode last week, on the feedback episode, about people who stop watching the show. I kind of have to admit that I'm one of those persons that stopped watching after the premiere of season seven. So I've kind of been thinking about it for a long time because I'm trying to figure out why I stopped watching the show, but I still listen to you guys' podcast. Actually, I only listen to your podcast now. I don't watch the show anymore. And I think I lost the desire to watch the show once Glenn and Abe's deaths were shown. I think... I feel like for me, it was entirely too graphic. I feel like it overstepped a lot of the boundaries, at least that I had for the show, because I was kind of used to seeing violence, you know, zombie on human or human on zombie. But this is the first time that we'd ever seen violence that was human, human that was this violent. I, we, I even the even the cannibals from Terminus didn't show this degree of violence. So it really turned me off to the show. I think there's enough problems in the world right now where I don't want to have to deal with this as well, if that makes sense. So I still listen to you guys' podcast because I, you're my two favorite Canadians in the entire planet. And um, you guys are really fun. And I enjoy listening to your take on this. And I enjoy listening to the story that you guys tell about the show but I don't have any interest in watching it anymore. I hope that kind of answers your question. Thanks, you guys. Thank you very much, Herb Cat. So our two favorite Canadians in the world. Yeah, that I don't, makes sense to me. I don't know if I've ever been anyone's favorite Canadian. Well, you're one of my five or six favorite Canadians. Oh, that's nice, man. <laughs> well, I have to expand it because, you know, I have my wife and my son and sure, you know, uh, other people that I, I like. But yeah, you're right up there. Uh, that, that means I'm right up there with your your wife, son, mom. You know, that's pretty good. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say my mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's because she's not Canadian. <laughs> no, she's Canadian. Well, Herbcat, you're my uh, you're you're my, one of my favorite Guatemalans in the world. Yeah, me too. One. It's... Absolutely. You're the only one I've ever uh, I've, I've ever heard <laughs> in person. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's people from Guatemala on TV and and movies and stuff, but you know, I don't. I'm not aware of where they're from probably one or two that you just didn't know that you've even met in real life maybe yeah could be but they're not your favorite that's the point no no they're not absolutely not my favorite herbcat you're absolutely my favorite herbcat's right up there uh but thank you for the call herbcat another listener who just is you know done with the show after seeing what happened in in the first episode of season seven and you know we had other people bring that up as well just with all the the problems or, you know, the events of the world these days and everything that's going on. Some people just are like, you know what? I want my TV to be a little happier, to be a little more sunshine and rainbows and bunny rabbits and not uh, people getting smashed in the head and brutally murdered. And I can get, I can totally understand that. Sometimes absolutely, you need the kind of escapism that escapes from the real world a little bit. And uh, I mean, depends who you are, but the real world these days is a little bit nuts. It it's a little bit nuts for a lot of reasons. So uh, totally makes sense to me. Uh, who's next? You or me? All right, me. And we have uh, Wendy in East Point, Michigan, uh, with an email. On the last podcast, you mentioned the ratings decline. 
you wanted people to tell you why they are not watching. I am one of those people. I think the current season is has been horrible. Last season was bad enough with the whole thing basically lasting a couple of days in real time. This season is nothing more than introducing a number of new communities that maybe will pay off later, just not now. Also, the whole there is no hope thing is getting to me. Uh, at this point, I think that the survivors uh, should have taken the CDC's way out. So just stay in the CDC and blow themselves up way back in season one and be done with it. Just die. Basically just die, yeah. Well, um, Wendy, I feel like the first half of season seven was purposefully draining on viewers, and I think it's going to change for the second half. I, I agree. I think that we've been uh, similar to the first half of season two. We've been uh, paying into this thing for eight episodes. And I'm hoping and I'm half expecting that it'll pay off. Like we're, it's actually going to uh, be a windfall and we'll get, uh, we'll get back out what we put into it as far as our attention goes. Yes, I am right there with you. I believe that to be true. I hope it's true. Based on that reunion scene, which I'll, you know, I keep bringing up, I feel like that was the first step in the right direction. And I hope they keep going that way. So it's been tough. It has been a difficult ride through the first part of this season, but I think it's going to turn around. And uh, imagine, you know, if the show becomes as exciting and gripping in the second half of season seven, as it was sort of depressing and, um, I don't know, I don't want to say annoying or slow, but you know what I mean? You know, if it becomes the opposite of what it was in the first half of this season, we could be in for something really special, uh, or, or it's just going to go way too far and we'll, we'll all be like, what, why is it going so fast? Or why is it so, you know, nothing but an action movie now? Yeah, you know, there's going to be car chases and dinosaurs <laughs> running all over the place and the Decepticons will show up and uh, the aliens from Mars attacks and it's just going to be this thing to be like, what the hell? <laughs> Something is different about this show now. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the aliens finger on it. or it's, the dinosaurs. <laughs> is it the Decepticons? Is that too much? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> they were here in season three, right? I, they, they, they're not new. I don't think so. <laughs> I think Otis was a Decepticon, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, Winfried in Germany wrote, I got annoyed by the last season. We had to endure the agonizingly ridiculous dumpster gate, which was uh, which was the first time I felt that the showrunner takes us, the viewers, for a bunch of idiots. Then the season six finale killed all the momentum. I was not against the cliffhanger per se, but I simply couldn't appreciate all the padding that got us there. The pacing of the episode was just awful, and once again, I felt that the showrunners had taken the viewers for a ride. Finally, the acting of some actors is getting really bad. Norman Reedus, who seems to be a pretty decent actor, looked bored with his role, which is getting one-dimensional. J.D. Morgan is a great actor, but his Negan is just a pathetic creature and not intimidating. I wonder if he meant caricature rather than creature. I don't know. Either way. Last but, last but not least, Chandler Riggs. He was a fairly cute child who could convincingly play Rick's son. But now, that poor guy just cannot act and is painful to watch. With all this, I progressively lost interest in the show and the future of its characters. Oh, and child actors in general... Uh is not a good indicator of what's going to happen when they grow up. 
Uh, no, never is, uh, usually. But what about this idea that Norman Reedus seems kind of bored in the role? Because as soon as Winfried said that, I, I could see it. I, I know um, Norman Reedus is, in, in some ways, feels like he's barely on the show anymore, but you could say that about any of the characters, to be, to be frank. But, like, is Norman Reedus doesn't, Daryl doesn't seem to have the sort of spunk that he had in the first couple of years. Right. And maybe that's a character thing. Maybe the character's beaten down and he's changed and he's he's not the same like kind of aggressive shoot first ask questions later kind of guy that Daryl was 5 years ago. I mean 5 years real time, but maybe not. I don't know. Well, I'm not yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that uh you know he Norman Reedus is actually bored. I think the acting can be kind of questionable and sound like we've been questioning Jeffrey Dean Morgan's acting. Uh, in this this show from you know day one of this season, uh, but as far as Chandler Riggs goes, uh, you know people go through growing pains, and uh, you know child actors don't always make it to adult actors. Uh, not everybody's as lucky as um, oh, what's his name? That guy, <laughs> you know the guy I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. So I'll think of it later. It's one of those things. So, you know, uh, I may agree with you. I may not. I'm uh, I'm holding out hope for the second half of this season. But see, Chandler as a child actor is in is a pretty in a fairly unique situation in that he's not doing movies. He's doing a TV show. Like his first big thing was The Walking Dead, and so he's had a steady job for seven years now and gone from eight years old to fifteen or whatever he is now, and 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 that's unlike other child actors right he's he's an actor whether he likes it or not at this point and he's going to be an actor until this show ends or he's killed off whereas someone like drew barrymore who was a child actor in et and other movies when she was little you know she had to do movies so there might have been a big break between shooting and she was in a different role all the time so it's not like she was contracted into a show for entire her entire childhood you know yeah. Um, and she, I guess she turned out, I mean, she had some issues as far as I know, as she got older, but she's still an actress, right? She's still an actor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it worked out for her, I suppose. Um, she was born on the exact same day my wife was born. They are exactly the same age to the day. Ooh, that's fancy. Yeah. That's really cool. Do they celebrate their birthday together? Uh, yeah, when she comes over in, uh, every February and, uh, we hang out for uh, a weekend. It's nice. Sounds good. You and your yeah, wife. we got a and... bunch of people over that were born in February of 1975 and, uh, we all get together for a big party and, uh, every year I just, some part of me wishes that it was just canceled. It's just too <laughs> many people in the house that just, you know, some years it is canceled and I, you know, I have my own little celebration inside and some years it's not. And I have an external celebration with lots of people, including Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's the kind of thing that you never want it to happen, but then when you, it, when it does, it's usually a good time Yeah, and you're okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and All right. I, next. Wait, wait. I just want to clarify one more thing about Winfried's email. Or no, what you said about questioning Jeffrey D. Morgan's acting. I don't question his acting because I think he's a really good actor. I just question the 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 way he's portraying Negan. I think the well, act- that's his acting. Yeah, that- it is his acting. It's what he's doing. It's his it's his whole job is to portray a character, and that's what he's doing. And you don't like it. 
but I, I don't like the character decisions. I don't think he's doing a bad job as an actor. I just think he's playing it incorrectly. And that may not even be his fault. Maybe he's being told to do that. You know? Scott Gimple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gimple. Gail Ann Hurd, maybe. Maybe it's Ann Hurd. Gail Ann Hurd. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's Gimple. Yeah. So, all right. Now we all can right. move on. All right. So next we have Elizabeth in Windsor who says she has quit the show. Uh, she writes, I actually quit listening to your podcast as well, but I found that I missed you guys <gasps> and the characters from The Walking Dead. Uh, it's hard to let go after following them for so long, but I also can't stand watching them to be tortured and brutalized. I have never been able to watch the tough scene from Terminus, and I feel that uh, metaphorically the whole group is poisoned over the tough, uh, over the, or poisoned, poised over the trough while Negan wields a weapon of choice over them all. Sorry about that sentence. That was all my fault. The psychological torture, not to mention the brutal violence, is too much. The show has had extremely high ratings for so many seasons, in part, I believe, because it was able to appeal to a wide range of viewers, from Zed heads to people who enjoyed character stories and the psychology of dealing with the apocalypse. Uh, I fall into the latter category. Unfortunately, with Scott Gimple at the helm, yes, let's blame him, uh, <laughs> he has appealed to more of the bloodthirsty Zed heads. I know quite a few people who have given the show up because they feel like the show is too violent and they don't need uh, that in their lives uh, as there is enough of that in real life. You know, part of me really hopes that Scott Gimple does not listen to this show because we've been hard on that guy. Well, I don't know... <laughs> We're, we're, giving, we're making him the scapegoat because he's the showrunner. Everything falls on his shoulders, whether he likes it or not. And he has to accept that as, uh, as his responsibility, because ultimately it is his responsibility. I think that's a really good point. I mean, all of these problems may not actually be his doing, his fault, for lack of a better word. But he's the one who has to take the responsibility for it because he's the showrunner. Yeah. So whether he's being pressured into things by outside forces or he just has no control whatsoever over anything and, you know, the show is suffering because he can't keep it running smoothly. Either way, like, you know, the responsibility falls to him to deliver a good show. And so that's why we're kind of hard on the guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you have to responsibility and accountability go hand in hand. And if you have, uh, accountability without responsibility, it's, it's a tough thing. And if you have responsibility without accountability, oh my God, then things really go off the rails. <laughs> responsibility without accountability. So you're not accountable for anything. So you can do whatever you want and right. you're not accountable. You can blame somebody else. So what he's got is, uh, he's accountable for the show and he's responsible for the show. So everything is his fault, regardless of what it is, who screwed up, what's going on. He's in charge. Everything falls on his shoulders. Sorry, Scott, but it's your fault. It's the way it is. There's <laughs> nothing yeah. else we can do. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's get off the sort of negativity here a little bit. We're gonna, we have a few more uh, emails and calls, a little more general feedback. Some of it is about a specific episode. Some of it is just some sort of thoughts on the season as a whole. And the first one here is a call from Lucy in Newmarket, UK. Hi, Chris and Jason. It's Lucy from Newmarket in the UK. Um, I'm just responding to your feedback episode where you talk about Carl, where Carl got the guns from uh, in the back of the truck because Hilltop have no ammo. I think that they would take 
uh, supplies out with them on a run. I don't know what you guys think, but I don't think they'd go out unarmed. So I'm going to assume that, it, that the box of guns in the back of the truck is just in case they run into anyone untoward. Thanks for the podcast, guys. Bye. I think it's a good theory that the, they took the guns with them so that they'd have some weapons if they, in case they needed them. They didn't pick them up at the hilltop, uh, but they just Why bought them. Why would they in the back of the truck, though? Well, it's a box full of guns. I mean, you don't need to carry your box of guns in the cab with you. Well, okay, so, well, I have a problem with that because, you know, if you're, <laughs> you get into a sticky situation where uh, you get surrounded by walkers and, or surrounded by anybody uh, and are at gunpoint, that box of gun might, guns might as well be on the moon for how useful it is to you. Sure. So if you're going to have a weapon, you carry it with you. If you're going to have 12 weapons, why do you need 12 weapons? I don't know. Back seriously, up is that that's too many guns? If you don't need a box of guns sitting in the back in order to get you out of a uh, a sticky situation. Okay, so I go back to my original idea then, and that the uh, hilltop wasn't the only location this group went to, and somewhere before they got to the hilltop, they visited another group and took some guns from them. Yeah, could be. That's why they were just transporting them, and they weren't expecting to have to use them. Right, because if you're gonna have a box of guns, store them in the cab of the of, of the uh, of the truck, or sit beside the box of guns, because they're useless to you if you're if they're not with you. I remember when I was in basic training, and I've said this before, that uh, we had when we were on maneuvers, we were given a uh, a rifle, a semi-automatic rifle, the FNC one A one, which was a uh, Anyway, uh, so we had this, these rifles that we carried around with us, and if we, at any point, that weapon was out of arm's reach, we would be yelled at, and the whole squad would be doing push-ups for like an hour. Like, you never, ever left that where you weren't able to reach for it at uh, any given time. Never. I mean, I guess if you're going to walk around with a gun, you might as well be ready to use it. That's right. Absolutely. And you never stick the, the barrel into the mud, like to hold yourself up or to get up off the ground. Cause you know, that's just stupid. What if you do that by accident though? Don't. Why? Well, you're, you're walking along, trudging through the mud, you, your boot gets stuck, you kind of trip, stumble forward. And just by, by reflex, you're, you, you put your arms out to break your fall and your gun gets stuck in the mud. No, they train you to, uh, how to carry it so that it doesn't get stuck in the mud. If you get tired of carrying it where the, uh, you know, where it won't get stuck in the mud, uh, put it at arm's length above your head. Carry it that way for a half hour or so. Oh, yeah, that doesn't sound uh, uncomfortable at all. Oh, oh it happened. <laughs> yeah. If you're tired of carrying it uh, the way it's supposed to be carried, you just carry it over your head. Yeah. And that's how you walk through water is by carrying it over your head. You take care of that thing. You do not accidentally get it stuck in the mud because then it becomes useless to you. Well, I've never been in the military, so I don't know anything about it. There you go. All right. What are we doing now? We're doing Adam in Texas. That's right. All right. Adam in Texas writes, do you guys think the resistance to the saviors will be a well-formed attack or well-formulated attack, or it'll be a heat of the moment thing where they rise up during an incident of Negan's abuse? I'd love to see the former, but I'm sure it will be the latter. Uh, plans will be 90% ready to go, but one of Negan's men decides to kill or abuse or kill someone. Uh, our heroes stop them, and it's all, it's full-on war. So I, I, what Adam is, is saying is just like, do you think they will actually formulate a plan and get to execute it as planned? Or will it be like, okay, we've got a pretty good plan? Or will it be like the quarry, quarry at the beginning of, uh, geez, was that last season? 
Yeah. Yeah. Season six. Right. Where, you know, they have a plan, but they're forced to execute the plan sooner than they wanted to because the truck falls in. And then they, you know, then they are, aren't quite ready to do it. And I think Adam's probably right. I mean, they'll have, they'll be planning something, something will go wrong or something will happen that forces them into it too quickly. And then it'll be a little bit of, you know, holy shit, hallelujah, fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah. We There's two do. sayings that, uh, that I think apply here and they're both military type sayings. One is that no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. Right. So, and the second one is that a battle plan is a, uh, is a democracy and the enemy gets a vote. <laughs> Those both kind so, of mean the same thing. They're both kind of the same thing, but it's a, yes, they'll have a plan, but you never expect the plan to go as planned. Right. <laughs> so just go for total chaos. Who needs a plan to begin with? Well, that's not good either. I mean, it, it's a matter of uh, contingencies, right? You stay loose, uh, you know, go for a, a general plan of attack. If everything works out, great. But if it doesn't work out, you adapt. Yeah. You need plan B, plan C, plan D, and you have to know when to go to them. Yeah. And the, the nicest way to put it is that uh, when someone asks, how's it going? You, you say, the situation is fluid. <laughs> I'm going to start using that at work. That sounds like something. I use it at work. At work. <laughs> yeah. It's Dang. a very dynamic, fluid situation, and we've had uh, quite a few uh, open and frank discussions. <laughs> you just said everything without saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that everything's gone to shit and we argue all the time. There you go. <laughs> sounds fun, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, our next email comes from Mark in Montreal. Now, this email is a little bit spoilery for the comic and speculates about something that's coming up on the show, uh, which I do think is coming on the show. But again, it's pure speculation at this point. But since the comic is ahead of the show, this could be a little spoilery for the show. But I think it's pretty mild if you're worried about that. So if you're if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead. But here comes comments from Mark in Montreal. I have thought I have a thought concerning what PPP could stand for. And if you remember, PPP was written on that white card that Tara found in the mud. Mark says, and it seems it's hinting at the whisperers. PPP stands for pianissimo in musical notation. Pianissimo itself stands for very, very quiet. Don't know what's, uh, how that's going to play out, but figured I'd share this finding. And if you go look that up and you look up sound dynamics, uh, pianissimo actually, I think, translates to whispering. So like mm. whisper level. And, you know, the reason this is a little bit spoilery potentially is because there is a group that shows up in the comics, uh, you know, post where the TV show is now called The Whisperers. So whisperers, whispering, pianissimo, Ah. Maybe. I think uh, Mark could be onto something, but I also think it might be a little too obvious to put that on the white card. So, and it's a little, well, it's not obvious having a, uh, a musical notation that I had never heard of. Well, I just, I mean, okay, not obvious, but like if that means whispering and we have a group called the Whisperers. Like, doesn't that seem like a little bit like on the nose? Hey, look, here they come. 
Well, it would be, but it's, you know, if it's their calling card, they might, uh, they might be using that, uh, you know, those cards to, uh, you know, give information, to disseminate information to their group. If you see something that says PPP, nobody's going to assume that means whisperers, right? Because, you know, if I saw that, I'd be like, okay, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers and Papa Piccolino's pepperoni pizza kind of thing. I would not think, oh, that means I got to be really, really quiet. <laughs> No, I know, but I'm I'm just saying in the universe of this Walking Dead world, like whispers, PPP, you know, maybe they're just trying to be clever with us, and uh, you know, I I could see them doing that. Like, I mean, uh, well, absolutely, I could too. I don't think it's on the nose. I don't think it's a little. It's obvious. I think that uh, you know, as long as it's explained in the context of the show, right. then great. Is if it's you know if it. Uh, comes out of the show and it it takes us out of uh, uh, out of it, then that'd be bad. But as long as the characters in the show are using that to uh, to indicate something uh, that is some kind of secret code that only the whispers would know, then I'm okay with it. Right. And sorry, I wasn't clear. That's 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 what I meant. That they're putting it in like out of the show, not as part of the show, but it's almost like a clue for viewers, which which I don't yeah. like as much. No, and I would agree with you in that case. Yeah, okay. If that's all it is, then absolutely it's a pile of shit. But <laughs> if it's uh, if it's something that the whisperers are using as a calling card f for some reason, then I'm okay with it. Then it's good. All right, cool. Yeah. Never know. All right, next we have an email from Kate in Chicago, Illinois. I wonder if the cord around the boots of the mystery person at the end of the episode is meant to help keep the boots on. They look like very big boat boots. Boats. <laughs> Uh, made me wonder if the wearer is a kid or a woman who is wearing boots that are just too large. I'm going to read the next one right away here. Christian uh, in Canada by way of Shanghai. Either that means, well, I don't know. I guess a, a person from China who's in Canada. Christian? I would think so. Or maybe the other way around. Anyways, it doesn't I've matter. I've been to Canada. I've been to Shanghai. Either way. Either way. Uh, writes, my gut instinct impression when I saw mystery boots jump down was that it was a girl or young woman. Something about the silhouette and style of jeans, maybe? Not sure, of course, but if you look closely, it seems that mystery boots's hands are nice looking and slender, and they also appear to be some very well manicured eyebrows above the monoculars. Not definitive, but hey. Anyway, if it is, if, if it's a young woman, wouldn't it make sense for it to be one of the ladies from Oceanside? I feel like that makes more sense than introducing a new villain midway in the season. What do you guys think? So what do you think, Jason? Do you think it could be, they could be fooling or playing with us a little bit here? And, you know, we think that Mr. Mystery Boots is a mister and a big tough guy, but actually it's a kid or a younger woman who's not really filling out the boots. Well, I think that I think the cords do indicate that uh, it's keeping the boots on that are too large for the wearer. What that implies, I'm not sure. It was tape too. I think on one of them was tape, and maybe one of them right. was something wrapped around it. Um, but I, I think both Kate and Christian are onto something here. It's probably not what we think, right? Whoever who's whoever this is, it's not just going to be some bad guy that shows up and is just is just going to terrorize them or be another villain. There's going to be more to it than that, of course. And, yeah. uh, and, and maybe the more to it will simply be that it's, it's unexpected. It's not what we're expecting or not the kind of character we'd expect, you know, to be wearing those boots. So, um, I'm, 
I'm pretty curious now, though, about uh, about what it is, who it is, and I'm looking forward to finding out. So I hope we don't have to wait too too long. No, they're not gonna they're not gonna string this out. We're gonna find out right away. Uh, I don't know. I bet you it'll be the end of the season, but I, I just hope it doesn't go longer than that. Come on, Scott Gimple's smarter than that. He's not going to string us along like we're idiots. <laughs> okay, you're right. Maybe not. <laughs> he's never done that before. <laughs> no, he's never done that. All right. All right. Sorry. I was just going to say, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. We got one last email from Malin. Malin? Yeah, Malin. Malin, Stockholm, Sweden. Before my brother introduced me to your great podcast... Uh, it was hard to really fully understand all that happened in the in an episode because it's difficult to follow dialogue when English is not your first language. However, your excellent and thorough recap of the episodes has made it so much easier to understand and follow the show. Before, I always felt that I had missed important details, but you two have changed that. I love to listen to you guys every week, and I think you're doing an amazing job. Okay, stop there for a second. I, I probably should have put this up with the other stuff, but I know this is a little bit of blowing our own horn here for a minute. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I just thought it was a, a fascinating take or an interesting look on kind of what we do and, and, uh, how, you know, it, it helps people who watch the show who don't necessarily speak English or at least speak it as their first native language. And, uh, that's cool. And I just wanted to say thank you and you're well, welcome. Yeah, th thank, thank you for you writing much. in and you're welcome that we do this. <laughs> yes. And you know, English is my first language and sometimes I have a hard time following shows, uh, and understanding exactly what's going on. Even with this show, I have a much greater understanding uh, of what's going on because of all the feedback from the listeners. Like they catch stuff that we don't catch. Oh, that's for sure. Totally. So it's not just us. It's it's the whole community at large that uh, contributes to the the fuller understanding of this uh, of this show. The show is better. And sometimes worse because of what we do here, right? Sometimes it's... Why the worse? Well, I mean, if if you have a fuller understanding of it, but you also have a fuller understanding of what what's great about it and what's not so great about it. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, it's, you get everything, you get it all when you, when you have this community going here. So we, it, we bask in the glory of the show when it's awesome and we uh, rage against the bullshit when it's, uh, when it's crappy. When it's not as awesome. That's yeah. right. All right. Anyways, Malin had one last thing to say before we wrap it up here. Uh, you know, you're going to make me say it. All right. Also, it would be awesome if you go, if you could wish my 14 year old son, Samuel and his Swedish hockey team, uh, Osteracker Sweden Vikings. Good luck to the Wayne Gretzky international hockey tournament in Brantford, Toronto on December 27th to 30th. I got a soft spot for minor hockey. Well, I love hockey. I'm a huge hockey fan, soft spot for this. So I wanted to include that. So good luck, Samuel with the... Osteracher Swedish Vikings. Uh, how about we just say the Vikings? <laughs> the Vikings in the Wayne Gretzky International Hockey Tournament in Toronto. This the end of this month. So that's uh, going to be awesome. Good luck, guys, and uh, Brantford, Ontario, hometown yeah. of Wayne Gretzky. And I am aware that Wayne Gretzky is a hockey player. <laughs> I knew that. That's great, man. That's you... because he went to my high school. Yes, he played for the Sioux Greyhounds for yes. a while. Uh, which is where you grew up or did and a lot went of your... the same high school. He'd spent uh, two semesters in uh, Sir James Dunn Collegiate Vocational High School. And that's where I went to high school. Not at the same time as him. 
No, no, he's, yeah, he's years older than me. What the, no more than 10. He's not that old. It's still years. It's more than four. Okay, thanks. You're right. Good job on the math there, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how old he is, but he's older than I am. He's 50-something, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in. Uh, before we move on to our review of Rogue One, I wanted to throw out a big thank you to somebody who went to patreon.com slash Dead and decided to throw a little money our way uh, over there, you know, in, as a, uh, to become a patron and support us, if I could speak at all. Um, so a big thank you to Ashley P. in New Jersey. And the level that she joined at buys her the right to do a quick shout-out on the show. And uh, she decided to send just this as a shout-out, wishing us, well, she wrote, wishing you, meaning me and you, Jason, us, and all the listeners of The Talking Dead, a happy Christmas Hanukkah. <laughs> Christmas Hanukkah. So whatever it is that you happen to celebrate at this time of year, or nothing for that matter, uh, we, along with Ashley P. in New Jersey, would just like to wish you all the best. And uh, thanks to Ashley for becoming a patron. If you want to do that, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead and uh, check us out over there. There's been a little uptake lately, and that's fantastic. Thanks so much to everybody. Cool, cool. Okay, we are going to leave The Walking Dead now as a topic. So if uh, if you tune in strictly for The Walking Dead talk, um, then uh, you might you know drop off right now. So thank you to everyone for listening. Don't forget about our live chat show in uh, January. And if uh, we don't hear from you then, we hope you will come back in February when The Walking Dead is back on the air. But for the rest of you, let's talk some Star Wars. So, Jason, you and I went and saw Star Wars. Uh, sorry. I have a couple of groundwork questions here first. Okay. That's, we did go to see Star Wars. Is this a spoiler-free discussion or is it a spoiler-filled spoiler discussion? This is, I think it's an important distinction to make right off the bat that's before a, we say even word one. Okay, that is a really... This movie, I find, is difficult to talk about without spoiling it. Very difficult for some reason. Um, so what do you want to do? Do you want to spoil it or not? I want to spoil the living crap out of it. Okay. In that case, folks, Star Wars, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story has been out for a week now. I know that's not a lot of time, but Jason wants to spoil it, so we are going to spoil Rogue One. Um, we probably have a lot more listeners just drop off, but again, that's okay. <laughs> that's that's okay. all right. If you, um, if you go see it this weekend, which, you know, a lot of you are come back and listen to this if you want, uh, or don't, but it, you know, do whatever you want, but just know we are going to spoil rogue one in our discussion about it right here, right now. Yeah. Cause I don't think we need to give a generic review of what we thought. Cause there's lots of reviews out there. Uh, I think we need to talk about, you know, specific things in, in this movie that, uh, I have, uh, various thoughts on. Okay. Well, why don't you, you begin? Let us, uh, where do you want to start with this thing? Uh, okay. So I, uh, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, you, me and your wife went to see this movie on, uh, a very, uh, icy Saturday. The last Saturday, in fact. Yeah, last Saturday. And uh, we sat in a VIP theater in very comfy chairs uh, in a licensed theater. So I think Christina even got a uh, an alcoholic beverage. She did? She did. And uh, so, first of all, VIP theater, well worth it, I think. 
I think so. There were a couple of problems with the viewing experience that that we had, but it, the idea of the VIP, if it if all runs yeah. smoothly, is great. And I, well, there I, was technical issues. I mean, there was uh, an issue with the projector. Everything was way too dark, and the contrast was not uh, not really good. But they fixed that part they way. Fixed that part way yeah. through, or I, I did what they could. I think I I, I still have a feeling that like even after whatever they did it felt a little dark to me but it got better let's say that i watched a review online like the next day and i'm like oh man i wish i could have saw it in this kind of quality looking at my computer monitor well you got you can go see it again (laughs) i'm planning on it and it's in imax so you could go see imax yeah but of course, I think there's only IMAX 3D, which I try to avoid. Anyways, so we had a couple of technical issues. It was also super hot in the theater, and that oh yeah, that w- upset me a lot. But aside from all that stuff, <laughs> yeah, you you were crying, and uh, you know, I could hear your sharp into <laughs> yeah. takes a breath while you were watching the movie. Stupid I, I, friggin' I, heat! <laughs> it's too hot. It's too dark. And I had to bring my wife. <laughs> Well, I wasn't upset about that. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, overall, I liked the movie. I thought it was uh, I thought it was well done. There was aspects to it that uh, I really enjoyed, and I think uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But I think one of the uh, the aspects of this movie made even a new hope a better movie. Yeah, that's something I've been saying too, and I've heard out there that uh, to be more specific, it just it makes it adds more weight to a no. A New Hope, knowing what happened immediately before it. Like immediately. Yeah. Like 15 minutes before A New Hope opens, it feels like. Well, that's... that's Maybe that's, not 15 minutes, but, you know, immediately. Like they... they Okay, we're spoiling, right? Like, uh, just to confirm, we, like we're spoiling shit. <laughs> we have we have left that spoiler on the table, so yes. All right, so they give the plans to... Uh, Princess Leia. Princess Leia. At the very on end. That, uh, on that ship. And then she buggers off and Darth Vader goes after her. And then, you know, A New Hope opens. They're being fired upon by the uh, by the ship, uh, by the uh, Darth Vader's ship. And she has to get the plans into uh, uh, R2-D2. I don't think it's clear that that happens like immediately following this movie. I mean, the the the, the rebels do hyperspace out of there, right? And so... Yeah. it And then Darth Vader fucks off after them. I don't think... I don't think it's clear that that happens immediately after, like it could have been some time after, but yes, it basically leads right into it. And I, and I know what you mean. Like it could be like, you know, the next half an hour later, but I, I, I feel like maybe that, uh, ship that, uh, the Tantive four is that, that's the name of the ship that princess Leia is on. I think it could have, she could have gone off and done some other stuff for a while. And then the, the, the empire catches up with her sometime later. And by later, right. I mean could be days later. Right. Okay. Anyways, either way, it's the, pretty close. The other aspect that I think that made uh, A New Hope better is they explained why there's this huge flaw in this massive space station where you get a couple of torpedoes down uh, an exhaust port right below the main port and it goes right into the reactor and blows the whole fucking thing up. Right. Like that. that's a ridiculous thing really, and they explain it in this movie, and I think it's a valid explanation, and I think it makes that flaw uh, not better, but it makes it uh, more understandable and more acceptable as a uh, reality. Sure. Can I use that word? Yeah, well, why not? But did, but I mean, I totally agree with that. I 100% agree with that, but I, at the same time, I never really thought about the fact that having a flaw in the Death Star like that was that big a deal before. 
But clearly, when you see this, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, it's a big deal. It makes no sense that there would be, uh, <laughs> you know, this e super easy way to blow it up unless it was sort of man-made, if it was put there on purpose. Right. Right. And and I may have just never thought about it before because, you know, I saw that freaking movie when I was five years old and I've seen it thousands of times. And, you know, but I experienced it for the first time as a kid. So I, in a way, still think of it like that. Do, do you think that, uh, you know, a nuclear uh, powered aircraft carrier today has a vent that you could shoot <laughs> a missile down and the whole thing would just blow up? I hope not. Right, because they design the hell out of those things, and they go like, "Well, we got to think of all the possible flaws, and this thing is meant for battle, so we have to uh, we have to design it in such a way that it can at least take some battle damage without the whole thing blowing up and killing everybody on board." Yeah, no, well, that would make that would be ridiculous if if they did that in real life, um, but but even so, I never really thought of that when it comes to the Death Star. But now that it's been pointed out, yes, it makes no sense, but I'm glad they came up with a really good explanation for it. I think so, too. I, right. It's one of the things I, I really liked about the movie. Uh, yeah, so I I liked this movie, too. I can't say I loved it. Um, you know, I, I can say that I loved The Force Awakens, Episode 7, that came out this time last year, which is the movie we talked about last December. Yep. I loved that movie, and I think it is spectacular this movie doesn't get to that level for me i think this is a good really solid movie that i liked a lot but it's not a great movie not a great star wars movie and just not a great movie overall i agree with you like i i did like this movie and there are aspects that i i did really like but there are some detracting factors that uh pulled away from this uh from the, it possibly being a great movie well so for me one of those factors is kind of the whole first half it feels like two movies, to be honest with you. There is, there's a lot of setup of all these new characters that nobody knows, and I don't know if they really pulled that section off as well as they could have. I felt like, I felt like it jumped around a lot. We saw little bits on a lot of different planets that, you know, even me as a real big Star Wars fan, especially when I was younger, w had trouble sort of keeping track of, you know what I mean, right. and, and following yep. a little bit. And, and it just felt like they, they really tried to cram in a lot, but it also felt like it took too long to get to the main story here. And I think that works against this movie a little bit because I felt myself sitting there going, well, well who are these people again? And why are they important? You know, and, and, and I felt that way until really we got into the section of, okay, there's plans, they need to get them, and this is what they're going to do. And then we get into that sort of the second half, which includes, you know, the massive battle on um, Scarif is the name right. of the planet, right? So I did not love the first whatever it was. I feel like it was 50% of the film, and I think they could have done it a little bit better. I don't think I agree with you. I think I enjoyed, uh, I think jumping right at the beginning when they jumped around planet to planet, you're on this planet now and something small happens there. It's like, why bother? Why? Right. Like, what? Why? Why? That was the first 15 minutes of the movie. They jumped around. It's like, okay, what's going on here? Because the first 15 minutes of any Star Wars movie is what the hell's going on here, especially since we didn't get a crawl of telling us what the hell is going on here. Right. Because we got that in every other Star Wars movie. It's just like, okay, here's the shit. 
This is the shit you need to know in order to find, you need, in order to follow what's about to happen. You know, this movie started and we get like music. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. And then we're jumping around all over the place. And I'm like, oh my God, I still don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to get started, but I don't think it was the first half of the movie. For me, it was the first 15 minutes of the movie. Okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, it's it's same criticism, just didn't go on as long for you. But the final battle I thought was uh, phenomenal. It was great. Spectacular. I think everything that, that happened there at that finale on Scarif, the team on the ground, the team in space, it felt very Star Wars. And and it felt Star Wars in the best possible way. And I loved all that. Absolutely. Like that, that all saved the movie for me. If that had been a bit of a letdown, I think I would have generally not liked this one as much. But it wasn't a letdown and it was amazing. Yeah. I was I was kind of sad that uh, during the space battle at the end that Admiral Akbar wasn't there. But then I realized if Admiral Akbar was there, he would have died and not been in the New Hope or uh, or the uh, sorry uh, Empire Stri- or Return of the Jedi. <laughs> right? Was he only in Jedi? I forget now. Akbar. I think he was. Well, either way, um, you're right. Uh, no, I mean, and and you know, it wasn't until the very end of the movie that I realized everybody's going to die. No, but I didn't know that. I didn't either. I did not either. And I'm a little bit surprised uh, that they, they were able to pull that off, you know, in Star Wars and in Disney and stuff like that. But yeah, nobody, virtually nobody survives this this film. Well, they can't because they don't show up in any of the uh, the subsequent battle scenes or even the planning of the battles. Everybody's new, right? It's like they can't have uh, all these people... Uh, these main characters go, yeah, I got the plans. Here's the plans. I, you know, I got the, you know, I couldn't deliver them personally, but uh, yeah, this is the plans and there's a flaw. It's sure. like, no, they had to analyze the, uh, analyze the plans and discover that flaw. They didn't know about it until they analyzed the plans. So anybody who knew about that flaw had to die. Right, 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 right. Of course. No, they knew there was a flaw, but they needed the plans to figure out exactly how to exploit it, basically. Right, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, you're right. But I, I still am a little bit surprised, and I was surprised watching it, that, you know, none of the main characters survive, and a lot of them have their heroic moments and and so on. But they they were all handled really well, I thought, you know. Um, but but I, I was still surprised, you know. it's You don't see a movie like this um, that often where, you know, all the main characters don't make it out. <laughs> so not often, not often. And, you know, especially not in a, like a star Wars movie. Um, so I was okay with that. I loved the, the big battle at the end. Um, but going back to the beginning, you know, just to sort of pile on that a little bit, there were elements that, that I did like about it, but another thing that I wasn't so keen on was Forrest Whitaker's character, uh, I didn't really feel, he seemed very important within the movie, but I didn't really feel that as much as, as the viewer. And I think part of that was, you know, he, he's supposed to be the guy that, that finds or rescues Jin, right? After she goes hiding right at the beginning yep, and then, and then raise her essentially. Right. But we don't see any of that. We jump forward 15 years and we're just supposed to understand that he is this really important person in her life and in general, um, but I didn't feel it really. And then, and then his whole thing felt a little bit, a little bit just kind of truncated where he dies too. But earlier on in the film, um, in a heroic way, kind of, you know, he's, he's, nah, he just gives up. He's like, okay, this is wall of dirt coming at me No, from, uh, 
and you know, I'm not, I, I'm not going to leave. This is my home. Yeah, but he's he kind of, he just wimped out. Come on. No, he's the captain going down with the ship, like his own ship, right? He's not going to, he's not going to run away or, or whatever. He's, he's going to stand and take it. And I'm fine with that. Like, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm on board, but I just didn't feel a connection to that character in any way. I, I agree with you. I think they should have, uh, I think that character comes from, uh, other media. Yeah, other Star like Wars. The, yeah, like the uh, the television show or comics or books or something. He comes from somewhere. Uh, I think they could have played have his character been a, have a bigger role in because uh, I think he was kind of the the good antithesis of Darth Vader because he needed the the oxygen. He was more machine now than man. Uh, I think he was he was kind of a, the other side of the coin of Darth Vader. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that could have been an interesting thing to play with, but they didn't. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I saw the connection with the breathing machine, you know, he forced Whitaker did an okay job. Like he, he acted well, he it well and, and he always does. Yeah. But, but the, just the character generally, you're right. I just don't feel like they did much with, and you're right. They could have, there was some potential there to uh, flip the coin and be the, the antithesis of Darth Vader. I mean, the breathing thing sounded just like Darth Vader. Yeah. Um. So that was that. What did, what did you think about Vader though? I thought he was awesome in this film. I loved it. I loved the fact that uh, James Earl Jones did the voice, and I'm so glad that James Earl Jones lived long enough to do the voice, and that they didn't get a voice alike because that would have been sad. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed that David Prowse didn't play physically play uh, Darth Vader. But sure. You know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I mean, if they're gonna replace one person, it could be the guy in the suit. Yes and no. I mean, even, uh, there's a documentary about, uh, David Prowse on uh, Netflix and you should watch it. Okay. Um, it's called, I forget what it's called, but it's, uh, Jenny and I watched it the, uh, the other day. It's about his, uh, him portraying Darth Vader and not knowing that they weren't going to use his voice oh. and not knowing, uh, and nobody told him that when, uh, you know, Anakin appears at the end of Return of the Jedi, that it's not going to be him. They're going to hire another actor. So he kind of felt slighted by that whole thing uh -huh. and started doing they didn't show this in the documentary, but I know that he started doing jerky things. Like when he was delivering his lines, he started talking gibberish to the other actors, making them uh, say their lines as if he actually had said his lines, but he would start making up shit. Really? Because he was pissed off at the production company. So I'm not surprised that David Prowse didn't get approached to do this because like, you know, fuck you, David Prowse for being a, being a jerk. Oh, and he uh, had a nasty habit of talking to the media and uh, after... Uh, a new hope. He talked to a reporter and said, uh, you know, Darth Vader's probably uh, Luke's father. <laughs> Wait, he, he didn't know that. Nobody knew that at the time. He just said it. He doesn't remember saying it. Somebody printed it. Everybody forgot about it until after uh, Empire Strikes Back and everybody went, whoa, <laughs> how did you do that? Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. I don't remember saying it. Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean... The movie you're talking about was called uh, I Am Your Father. That's it. A documentary about David Prowse. I mean, the guy's- Watch it. It's really good. The guy's 81 years old right now, so he might have just been a little old to put on the suit. That's fine. Anymore. But even in that uh, I Am Your Father documentary, uh, even uh, James Earl Jones said, you know, I didn't play Darth Vader. David Prowse played Darth Vader. I'm a special effect. Right. <laughs> and, and that's it. Wow. So- uh, you know, David Prowse, his presence played Darth Vader. Uh, James Earl Jones was the voice. And he just says, you know, I'm a, I'm just a voice actor in this. 
But saying that, I'm glad James Earl Jones did the voice of Darth Vader in this movie. Very much so. But I think the way Darth Vader was used in this film was amazing. The way he was introduced in his like big castle or whatever that is, Darth Vader's yep. castle, uh, with the giant shadow on the wall was amazing. Just so yes. cool. And then, you know, Darth Vader was neutered a bit in the uh, prequel trilogy. Oh, at the my end God. Of that, he was super lame at the end of the third one of those movies. This movie did everything it could to make him awesome again. And I think they succeeded. I think they succeeded. You know, awesome as a villain. When he when he lights his lightsaber in the dark and you just see the saber sort of light him up a little bit, that was spectacular. Like, just so well done. And then he just walks through those ships just destroying dudes and being so evil and, like, at the height of his power. And I've always thought there is something to be said for seeing people doing what they're doing when they're the best at it, right? Whether it's yeah. evil or good or whatever, you know, seeing someone at the height of their power or just executing what they do in, in the most expert way is really awesome to watch. And that's what Darth Vader was doing here in this movie. Yeah, I agree with you, sort of. But you remember the, the, the prequels? And you remember the final battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker on the, uh, uh, on the planet where uh, Darth Vader... Or get, uh, Anakin gets his legs burned off. Yeah, yeah, the the lava planet thing. Yeah, the lava planet. So that lightsaber duel was between two um, Jedi masters, essentially two Jedi's at the prime of their abilities, and that fight scene mm. was so well choreographed that you never felt like any either of them was ever in any actual physical danger because it was just like uh, this lightsaber dance that they were doing. But it explains, with the Force, it's all completely plausible in that they're so well attuned with the Force and so able to anticipate each other's moves that everything is like a dance. And no, they weren't really in any danger. The only real danger is uh, eventually something has to happen or somebody has to get tired and go, ah, ah, give, me a, give me a second here. Okay, <laughs> okay fuck it. You yeah. win. And then they're struck down. <laughs> yeah, and then they're struck down. So that's the same thing in that it, that these two Jedis were at the height of their power, but that fight scene was complete crap. Yeah. Okay. You, you make a good point there. Um, but uh, you know, still Darth Vader was amazing <laughs> in this scene yes. and he was doing his thing like with the best I've ever seen. Um, but you know, you're right. I've seen clips from all of the prequel movies. Uh, I think there's, there's a funny one where, um, uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan is, in a in the battle with um, Darth Maul, is he the guy with the red face? Yes, and he was a Jedi. Yes, he right? has a double lightsaber at the beginning. The yeah. double lightsaber, right? There's a scene where they're standing in front of each other, apparently having a lightsaber battle. But you know, seconds go by where they're really just swinging the lightsabers around, not hitting each other, not actually having a sword fight, just swinging yeah. them around, doing acrobatics like going behind their back and over their head and stuff like that. And it's just redonkulous. It's so stupid to watch. Every time I see that now or uh, see a clip of it, I know that Zoolander happened after that, but I keep thinking they're breakdance fighting. Yeah, that's, that's all they were doing. They were dance fighting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Darth Vader, amazing in this movie. Uh, any Anything else you, you want to say about it? I, I got uh, at least one more thing. Well, uh, it's the CGI Grand Moff Tarkin. I oh. had the. I wish they would have recast him or paired that character way back. Here's the funny thing about that. 
I, w- I did a little reading on, on the CGI characters. There are two primes computer generated characters in this movie. Yes. Uh, both of which are uh, characters from the original trilogy that they needed in this film. Um, and so they had to, in, in the case of Grand Moff Tarkin, the guy's dead. He's been dead for a Peter long time. Cushing, yeah. Yeah. So they couldn't bring him back. And of course he's also 40 years older now. Um, uh, and then on the other one is at the very end, uh, young Princess Leia, young Carrie Fisher. Um, and here's the funny thing. A lot of people are talking about these two characters, the CGI. And from what I can tell, there are a few different camps of people. One group of people that say, my God, Grand Moff Tarkin looked terrible and Princess Leia looked amazing. Another group that says Princess Leia looked amazing. Sorry, Princess Leia looked terrible. Grand Moff Tarkin looked amazing. And I think there's another group that's just like, they shouldn't have done this with any of these characters. It's too uncanny valley and it didn't work at all. Here's my feeling. And I think I'm in the minority here. I thought Grand Moff Tarkin looked fantastic. And I had no idea that that was a CGI character. Well, you need to get your glasses cleaned because as soon as I saw him, like the first shot of him when he was looking in the window, I'm like, oh, that really looks like him. And then he, and then a couple of scenes later when he's talking, I'm like, come on, do we, we, you know, they went to such great lengths to make the, uh, like the CGI for the rest of the movie was absolutely phenomenal, but you can't do a cartoon human in a live action uh, a live action movie with that kind of detail. Like you could do it with Spider-Man. You can do it with the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man because they're uh, they're more cartoon characters. Right. Grand Moff Tarkin is a human being. We're not there yet, obviously. I, I don't know why it worked for me, but it did. I had I never once thought to myself, I'm not looking at something real here until I saw Princess Leia because I thought she looked brutal. I thought no, she it was awful. It was f- awful. I wish they wouldn't have died. I wish they would have recast both of those actors, both of those characters. Just, you know, give me a different actor that sort of looks like it and then somebody call him by name and I'd be okay with it because it's been 40 years and the guy's dead. And Carrie Fisher does not look like Princess Leia from A New Hope. She is not 17 anymore. No. None of us are. I couldn't, could not play the 17 year old me. There's not a chance in hell. Not even close. Recast me. As a seventeen-year-old, <laughs> and I will, and I will accept that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought Carrie Fisher looked. Sorry, Princess Leia looked absolutely terrible. But I was completely on board for Grand Moff Tarkin for some reason. Now that I know that they're CGI and there was potentially problems, if I go see it again, maybe I'll come to my senses and be like, "Huh, you're right," or "Everyone's right." But in the moment, I don't know. Maybe I was just so swept up in the movie that I didn't that I didn't see it. So. Um, but I do think I'm in the minority there with Grand Moff. Think of it this way. 15 years from now, you're going to rewatch this movie. Well, probably sooner point than that. But before yeah. that, but yes, in 15 years, you're going to rewatch this movie and you're going to see Grand Moff Tarkin and you're going to go, holy shit, what were they thinking? <laughs> it just, it did not, it's not going to age well. It's going to look brutal. The rest of the movie is going to look great. But 15 years after Star Wars... You know, you watch it and it looks phenomenal. If 15 years from now they had recast Grand Moff Tarkin with a different actor, you probably would be like, okay, yeah, they recast that and you would accept it and that would be the end of it. And then 15 years from now when you watched it, it'd still be a classic kind of thing. But because of that CGI that they did not quite get right and granted doing a human being in a live action uh, movie as part of CGI is a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 
uh, even things like uh, Lord of the Rings with uh, Smeagol. That was all uh, CGI with the motion capture. Uh, we have a new Planet of the Apes movie coming out this year. Uh, the trailer for that, even the, the last Planet of the Apes movies, the CGI uh, for the motion capture apes looks phenomenal, but those are all not humans. Right. Right. Doing an actual human being in a live action movie as a CGI character, we can't do that yet. We're just, we're, we're close. Like granted, we're so close, but we're obviously with the kind of money that a Star Wars movie has, uh, we haven't been able to evolve to a technological level where we can pull that off. No, you're, you're, I guess you're right. Um, but and and I I don't know maybe in ten years I'll be like my God I can't believe how bad Grand Moff looks there, uh, but for now I don't know for now I was okay with it, and maybe I just need my glasses checked. <laughs> it was better than the Matrix movies, the second and third Matrix movies because those looked like rubber assholes running around swinging <laughs> sticks at each other. Well, those are fifteen years old by now already, right? I know, but it's still we've come a long way. Yeah, but we're not quite there yet, and I think that. Uh, overall, the producers of this movie made a mistake. They should have mm. just cast it as somebody else. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Uh, or don't put the character in the movie. Like, show the first thing, the, the CGI shot of him looking into the window. It's like, hey, Grand Moff Tarkin's here. And then write another script that doesn't have him nah, in it. I, I, I think he needed to be in the film. And I think the dynamic between Moff Tarkin and um, Krennic, played by, uh, uh, what's his name? From Bloodline? Yeah, that character. I think that dynamic was really good, and the way you know Grand Moff Tarkin stole the the credit and the power away from Krennic. Um, I think that was great, and I think that needed to be in the film. And it had to be Grand Moff Tarkin because he plays you know a big part in A New Hope. So I think I think it needed to be Grand Moff Tarkin. Could they have done it maybe a little bit differently? Maybe not shown him up close so much or something. I don't know. What about the little handheld holograms? You know, have uh, Ben Mendelssohn. Yeah. Mendelssohn? Yeah, Ben Mendelssohn, yeah. Uh, there's an H in there, which threw me off. <laughs> uh, have, you know, they? everybody talks in uh, little crappy holograms that you hold in your hand. You know, have a conversation with a little crappy hologram with Grand Moff Tarkin. It's true. No problem. It's true. They could have done something else, I suppose, but I just got to keep saying it. I thought it was all right. I was even, okay. in, uh, even in... Uh, all other Star Wars movies, when you're talking to your superior, like Darth Vader, when he's talking to the Emperor, and when, uh, uh, what's his name in, <laughs> in the other movie was talking to his superior, what's his name, the uh, <laughs> the guy from Girls who plays the bad guy in Kylo the Ren. other Star Wars movie. Yeah. Uh, when he's talking to his leader, it's an absolutely massive hologram that is of questionable quality. Right, right. The idea, the idea there is that the hologram needs to be like way bigger than life. I don't give a shit about the ho the quality of it, but it's just got to be huge. Yeah, well, it's something like that. But Grand Have Moff a conversation over Skype. That's basically what they're doing. <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin is a guy who likes to stand on the bridge and look out the window. You know, he's not just in the can somewhere on a hologram the whole time. So right, because that's where I do the podcast. Right, over, over Skype, I can I can do it on the shitter. <laughs> of course you can. Uh, yeah. But just another point on the CGI. Um, I thought. Yes, all of the the, the X-Wings and all the ships in space all looked amazing, but, you know, we can do that these days really, really well. But I think they made them look and behave 
in a way similar to all of the real physical models they used in the original trilogy, right? If yeah. you if you look at those X-Wings, they just kind of like hang there in the sky and they, they are a little jerky sometimes and they move a little bit in a sort of a funny way. And they can do that much smoother these days, but I feel like they on purpose made the X-Wings in Rogue One look and behave like they do in the other movies. And it's a really good piece of continuity. It reminded me of that Douglas Adams quote, the one where he, he says something like the ship hung in the sky exactly the way a brick doesn't. And that's, <laughs> that's what X-Wings and, and Y-Wings and B-Wings look like to me in the original trilogy. They're just sort of like hanging there in sky, like they're on a rope in, in space, like they're on a rope. And I think they did a good job imitating that, or at least, uh, I don't know, at least sort of paying tribute to it in this movie in, in some yep. ways. I'd agree. So it looked amazing, but it felt like the same ship, the same universe. Um, so, so, all right, one more thing about this movie that I really disliked. And I, again, I think I'm in the minority here, but the friggin' score. I, oh yeah, I didn't like the music in this movie one bit and I know what it is. It's, it was rushed. Uh, rushed? What do you mean rushed? I think the, the composer had four weeks to do the whole score. Oh, is that a fact? Is that like a known thing? I think that's a fact. I'm going to look that up. But go ahead with your uh, what you're thinking. Well, what I'm th thinking is this was the Star Wars music changed to not really feel like the Star Wars music anymore. And I know I'm old. I know I'm just being a little bit nostalgic and being a grumpy old man who doesn't want things to change ever. But I'm sorry. The Star Wars music is one of the greatest compositions, film compositions of all time. And I don't think you need to mess around with it. You know, I think they should just use the Star Wars music. I'm not saying they can't change it up a little bit or write new music. But to me, this just felt like a weird take on Star Wars, on the Star Wars theme. I didn't like it and I don't think it worked very well. So it bugged I, me. I agree with you. I'm just looking up an article now. It says that uh, Star Wars Rogue One's composer given four weeks to write score. Well, that's not enough. Uh, no, or, it's not. Or that... maybe it is enough, but I just, I just didn't like it. But uh, it just, it didn't work for me. It's like this movie, it's got to start with the frigging Star Wars theme. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. I don't know how, how else to say it. Um, and I think things like the Imperial March, you just, you just need that. And they didn't have it in this film. And it, it really bothered me and I noticed it and I didn't like it one bit. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was rushed. I agree with you. I didn't, uh. I was missing John Williams at the time. And like, oh, this is sounds kind of like, but yeah, I agree with you. And it was Michael Giacchino, the guy. Yeah, who, he's done some good work. Of course, he he was the lost guy and he's done lots of good work. You know, he's a good composer. He's one of the, the biggest, most well-known out there right now. Um, but if they're going to do something different, maybe just let him go all out and write his own score for this movie and not use the Star Wars music. Because I just feel like they screwed it all up they took something that was perfect and messed it all up and it didn't work so well if it ain't broke don't fix it is what i'm trying to say yep so well there you go rogue one good movie uh not a great movie in my opinion and uh, in you know it's it's not i mean it's better than the prequel trilogies well, i was just gonna say it's better than anything george lucas could do in yeah in the last 20 well, yes. years uh, at least on the big screen. I don't know what else he's been doing. But, you know, this movie, I think A New Hope, Empire, 
Jedi and the force awakens are all better than this movie. Um, even though the Scarif battle was really spectacular by itself, you can't just say that you have to consider the whole film, I think. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a disappointment after last year's force awakens, but still, God, I am going to go see it again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. I want to see it in the theater at least once more, uh, and then watch it, uh, every Saturday on, uh, Blu-ray for the next couple of years. <laughs> there you go. So it couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, Next up in the Star Wars universe, universe is the Han Solo standalone movie. And then, oh, I'm looking forward to that, too. And then episode eight uh, next December. So we might have two Star Wars films to talk well, when about When the hell is year. the Han Solo thing coming out? I, I think it's mid-year. It might be May. No, it can't be May. Maybe it's, you know what? Maybe Han Solo doesn't come out 2017. Maybe it's a 2018 movie. So maybe we only have the one in the next 12 months. Uh, okay. Uh, untitled Han Solo Star Wars Anthology Film 2018. Okay. All right. So I got the order mixed up. So the next one is is Episode Eight. Either way, Star Wars is back. And, uh, you know, there was a long time in my life where I thought I would never get to see another Star Wars movie. Or certainly one that I thought was really good. So. Oh, Alden uh, Aaron Reich is playing Han Solo. He's the guy from uh, Hail Caesar. That's a, uh, I wish, uh, would that it were so simple. I haven't seen the movie, but, uh, Oh my God, you got to see that movie. <laughs> okay. I will. And, um, the guy from community is playing, um, Lando Calrissian, Don Glover, yeah. Lando Calrissian. That's perfect casting right there, man. Well, I can't imagine why not. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is going to be good. I hope so. I hope so. All right. Um, that's going to do it uh, for this podcast. And, and dare I say, Jason, this is probably our last podcast of 2017. I would I would think so. It's 2016, my friend. Uh, sorry. 20. You're, you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm still thinking about Star Wars. 2016. It yeah. As of we speak right now, it's December 22nd. So Christmas is Sunday. And, uh, you know, we're taking some time off after that's New Year's. And then uh, we get right into January and then back to work. Hooray. Um, so, you know. If we don't talk to everyone, have a great holiday. Merry Christmas mm. or whatever you do to celebrate the holidays. I hope you enjoy it and it is a fun time for all. And uh, we'll be back in the new year. Thank you so much to everyone that puts up with us every week or twice a week sometimes. It's, it's fantastic. We have a lot of fun doing it. I hope you guys have a lot of fun listening to it. And um, it's just really wild that this whole thing is what it is. So, so a, a big thank you to everyone. And, uh, you know, if this is going to be it for you for a little while, uh, you know, please come back in February when The Walking Dead is back on the air and uh, we will we will talk to you then, I guess. But if you want to stick around, a few things we've got coming up for the new year. Um, there's at least a few podcasts to do. Of course, you've already heard about our live chat podcast that's going to happen on Saturday, January the 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Please, please tune into that. If you want to ask us questions or just be part of the live conversation, that'll be really, really fun. We also want to try and do a show about uh, maybe the most recent Walking Dead novel. Um, Search and Destroy, which is written by Jay Bonansinga. Uh, and just yesterday, Jason, ep uh, season three of Telltale's The Walking Dead came out. 
So I don't know. Oh if, my God. I don't know if you'll have time to dig into that, but maybe over the next couple of months we can we can play a little bit of that and talk about it as well because those games, they're always pretty good and uh, yes, they are. They star our friend Melissa Hutchison, so they uh, do. I do feel like playing them and and I'm at least gonna buy it. <laughs> you'll <laughs> buy it very least someday. Get around to playing it. So. I want a podcast about that. And then, of course, we do owe a listener, a uh, one of our Patreon supporters, an episode where he gets to choose, basically program the podcast. He was generous, generous enough to support us at that level, and he has chosen something for us to watch and do a full review of on the show. So we are going to get to that as soon as we can in January um, after our chat show, I think. I don't yeah, want to so. rush that rush that through and 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 you know not give it its full worth so um that will be the thing that's coming up immediately following the chat show at least in the immediate week or two following that and then after that we've got novels and video games to talk about and stuff like that and then by before we know it we'll be getting ready for the back half of season seven which starts in february so lots of good stuff over the break, and we do hope you'll stick with with us and uh, join us for that. So otherwise, if you want to get in touch, you can, of course, uh, send us emails at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead or at talkingdead on Twitter or visit talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to uh, send us a quick message if you'd like. And I think having said all that, it is time to officially wrap it up for the year, Jason. Uh, so until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Happy holidays. Bye. And thanks for listening. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers and put them on Papa Piccolino's pepperoni pizza with pimentos and played Parcheesi with Paul and Penelope in Portly Pamela's pink pair of pajama pants with the Pittsburgh Pirates and the purple puppies from the planet past Pluto. And those ain't no petite pair of pants.